Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. This podcast is going to be the first in a series of episodes looking at subject-specific material. We know how hard everyone is working on the issue of curriculum, and we thought these episodes may provide you with some helpful support and guidance. And we're starting tonight with PSHE. Before I introduce our special guest for tonight, Steve, could you tell me a bit about your experience of PSHE in your career? Sure. Hi, Russell, and hi, everybody. Um, for me, PSHE has been one of those subjects that, whilst you know it's very important, fitting it into the timetable and actually delivering it, giving it the, the importance it needs, has been another battle. I think over the years, it's always been a, a class assembly focus or a circle time focus. It's never really had the dedication it needs, but hopefully that will change now. Plus, for me, it's always been following a scheme, for example, when I first got into teaching, SIL was a real major link to PSHE and that was a focus of our school. And then over time, it's never really had a, a subject leader within the school to drive it, um, but they have now got the opportunity. And whether that was just time or importance viewed systematically at the time, we don't know, but um, it's about to change, I think. Okay, well, to help us tonight, we're joined by Lucy Markovich. And Lucy is the series editor for Discovery Education, Health and Relationships. Thank you for joining us, Lucy. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Can I start actually by um, asking if you could give us some background about yourself and why PSHE is your area of interest? Okay, so I, I started my career as a teacher in the 90s in Leeds and I taught in an inner city school in Leeds. And I kind of progressed from there really to working as the National Curriculum Advisor for PSHE at what was then QCA, the Qualifications and Curriculum Authority. And I spent 10 years there. And in that time, PSHE really progressed as a subject area. So we developed a scheme of work, we developed assessment materials and guidance and units of work that had never, ever existed for PSHE before that. And in fact, when I started teaching, PSHE as a subject didn't even exist either. It was kind of, you know, people might do circle time or they might do personal education or something like that, but there was no PSHE essentially. So I kind of progressed through that and then after QCA, sort of an interlude with having children, I then joined the PSHE Association as a subject specialist. And then for the past couple of years, I've been working as a freelance consultant, writer, and editor, predominantly um, based around PSHE materials. And it's kind of, I think, in the 20 or so years that I've been working in this field, it's come from a subject that barely existed to now a, almost a statutory subject. So it's been a real journey. Mm, you've seen a lot of change there, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the aim tonight really is to, first of all, um, really emphasise for our listeners the importance of PSHE, and hopefully they'll go away sort of fired up wanting to do a better job with PSHE, but um, also to explore some of the, the new statutory guidance around RSC. But could you start by telling us why you see PSHE as so important? Why should it be such a valued part of what we do in our schools? Yeah, well, it, it's... The thing about PSHE is that it's 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 so real to pupils and, and to young people. It's it's what's happening in their lives right now, or potentially what will be happening in their lives in the future, and and it's all about the kinds of things which they might be interested in. They might want to have. They might have questions about. They might be um, curious about. But where do they go for those answers? And they might go to the internet, but the, what they find there might be entirely inappropriate. 
So if you're teaching PSHE in the classroom, you know that children and young people are getting those answers or getting that opportunity to talk about the things which they really care about, which really matter to them, but in a space which is safe for them to discuss mm. those issues. And then um, I think that the concern about PSHE is that it, it tends to be a bit of a dumping ground. So if there's an mm. issue, it'll get stuck in PSHE, but that's not really what it's about. I think it's, it, it's so much more than that. And it's so important that young people learn these skills and learn how to discuss the kinds of issues which are really important to them. Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I agree completely, Lucy. And many people believe that PSHE is an important area, but they probably feel that there are too many other priorities that get in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, what practical advice would you give to teachers who are keen to give PSHE the airtime it deserves uh, in our classrooms? That's a really hard question because I think a lot of teachers wouldn't disagree that it's a really important subject. And those that do timetable it and the schools that do make it an important part of their curriculum absolutely know 100% how important it is, especially when it's really embedded in the curriculum. Um, But I totally sympathise with the fact that timetabling is is an issue, um, understanding from senior leadership can be an issue, training can be an issue you know no, nobody is trained as a PSHE teacher at the moment um, some people get passionate about it and interested in it and want to do it and they'll go and get training from other sources but an awful lot of teachers especially secondary teachers have it dumped on them don't they and they they they're told oh you know I'm a history teacher but I've got to teach PSHE or I mean god forbid I'm a maths teacher I've got to teach PSHE <laughs> And I think, you know, that comes with some, could come with some form of resentment as well if, if they are going to struggle with that. Mm. And it's a sensitive subject. You know, you, you're asking somebody who's not trained to potentially deal, um, deliver some really sensitive areas of teaching. So there's all kinds of challenges that it faces. So I suppose the advice I would give is that it's really important for schools to have a champion for PSHE, to have a lead for PSHE. And hopefully now that it is becoming statutory, that will happen. And for that lead to be someone who actually really cares about the subject Mm. and really genuinely wants to deliver it as best they possibly can. Because if you just give it to someone because they, I don't know, deal with pastoral care or somebody because they deal with citizenship, doesn't necessarily mean that PSHE is going to be something they care about. So it's really about trying to identify the right person for the job. And then in addition to that, it's then that person being able to convince the senior leadership team that this subject needs to have carved out time in order to deliver it properly, because otherwise it just gets lumped in with all the other stuff. Um, And it doesn't get delivered as a subject. It gets delivered in the kind of way you said, you know, more reactive or just a circle time now and again. So, I, yeah, so it's a kind of combination of things, really. It's having someone who's passionate, but also someone who's strong enough to convince everybody that it needs the airtime it does. You've just got me thinking there, Lucy, There's, there must be um, subject leads for PSHE listening who are fired up and passionate and want to yeah. spread that in their school. Do you have any thoughts about how they best do that if they have colleagues who are reluctant to engage in this as an extra thing to think about, which is probably how, unfortunately, some people still feel about PSHE? Yeah, absolutely. My first thing, the first thing I would say is joining the PSHE Association is really valuable for subject leads because the association gives leads a whole wealth of information and they they provide training, they provide guidance. 
they provide ammunition, if you like, that they that people can take to their senior leadership to show why PSHE is so important and show the difference that it can make. Mm. Um, it provides them with schemes of work. It provides them with all kinds of advice and plus um, a helpline. So if you if you have a question about something, if you have a, something tricky that you're trying to deal with, you can get in touch with them and a subject specialist will discuss that with you. So it, it's a really, really worthwhile investment. And so that, I mean, that would be my first piece of advice for, for anybody. It's not massively expensive either. So it's actually a very affordable thing to do if you, you know, if you just have 100 quid to spend out of your budget, mm. spend it on joining the PSHE Association. I mean, the next thing I would say, and I, I think it's probably easier in primaries than secondary. And I might just be saying that because I'm a primary, I come from a primary background myself. But I think in primary schools, generally, you tend to have potentially a closer knit team of teachers it's smaller mm. you talk to each other more you you work together more closely anyway especially if you've got more if you're more than one form entry so there's more capacity for a PSHE lead to, to lead training for the whole school to deliver CPD for them to disseminate training that they've received so in a secondary school I, I totally accept it's more challenging mm. um, my advice for a second read would be if at all possible to try and and this you know this is potentially a long-term solution but to potentially try and develop a team of teachers who deliver pshe and who therefore will receive training in it whether it's from you as a lead or whether it's from external sources but will have that interest and will have that development from you and will have those resources in order to build up a team of, of specialists within your school Mm. those are the two bits of advice i would give really. no they're, they're really good pieces of advice i think you're talking about building that kind of capacity within the school to kind of sustain an interest in in pshe and i guess it's also really important people really get the why behind kind of why they're being asked to do pshe that's really important too isn't it yeah, absolutely. um so now seems to be a bit of a hotbed in the people are kind of realizing the importance of PSHE perhaps for a couple of reasons one there's the genuine worry of leaders oh there's a statutory document we need to we need to respond to but there's also obviously this incredible period of time we've gone through um, with COVID and lots of schools saying well we really we need to pay special attention to well-being of pupils do you think PSHE is going to be more important than it's ever been when schools return fully in September what, what's your response to that? Because I know a lot of people are talking about investing more in PSHE in light of the current circumstances. Yeah, what I would really hope is that the combination, as exactly as you said, the combination of the statutory status coinciding with what we've all gone through in the last few months will really help a lot of people realise, even if they haven't realised before, okay, we really need a dedicated space for this. We can't just deliver stuff in tutor time for example or we can't just do an assembly on building resilience because that's not going to cut it anymore we really need a time that we can spend on these issues and that we can look at these issues in more detail and and also I would say a, a common language as well so you know if, we, if we're talking about mental health for example what kind of language are we using around that what kind mm. of skills and attributes we're we trying to develop in in children and young people around that and if we're just doing it in an ad hoc you know mr so-and-so in his tutor time is really interested in it so he'll do it with his kids but mr so-and-so and hers hasn't got time so she won't then you're not getting the full picture mm. and so what i'm hoping is that heads and other senior leaders and teachers themselves will think 
you know what we, we have to have a way of dealing with this for our school which is more holistic which isn't ad hoc and which isn't piecemeal so you know from that perspective I really hope that people will realize that there is actually a dedicated place for all this stuff already and um and especially you know schools are being told they need to focus on the mental health side of things when they return yeah and if teachers can see actually we can dedicate an hour a week to this or half an hour a week a week to this in every single year group Mm. then that starts to build a foundation i think of something Mm. which hopefully will be incredibly helpful to a lot of people who have, have really struggled yeah, and I think it's important, isn't it, that people realise that um, perhaps a greater emphasis on PSHE in September isn't about saying, oh, we think every child that comes back is going to be damaged. It's not about mm. counselling or, or saying that no one's got well-being. That's not what we're, we're saying. We're just recognising that that kind of proactive approach is more important than ever, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah, I think that's really key what you said as well, because I think there's a danger that PSHE is kind of conflated with exactly what you say pastoral care with oh everybody's having a have, is going to be damaged and therefore we've got we've got to mm. react to that but actually that's not what it's about PSHE has never been about that um it's always been about developing skills which will hopefully serve you well in later life it's not mm. about um assuming or, or assuming that people have got problems or providing a space for counseling it's absolutely not that and, and I think mm. it's really important that people understand that mm. Um, we mentioned it earlier when we said about the new statutory RSE document uh, that's coming in for the next academic year. Now, whilst I'm sure that a lot of people will probably be aware of this, but it could easily have gotten lost in the mix of the pandemic. Um, Lucy, can you give us an, an overview of what RSE is and why it's important? Yeah. So um, it's essentially relationships and sex education at secondary so relationships education at primary or health and relationships education at primary health relationships and sex education at secondary and i think it's really important to make that distinction that sex education is not a statutory part of the subject at primary although it is recommended that children are taught sex education in an age-appropriate way at primary school but it's not a statutory um, Mm. requirement it is at secondary um, level. And I mean, essentially, it, the only change really is that, is, that, is that it's become a statutory part of the curriculum rather than there being huge, vast changes with, within the actual detail of, of what's provided or what's taught itself. Because PSHE as a subject hasn't gone away it's just become a statutory part of the curriculum rather than a non-statutory part. So essentially, the main change is that, but also that there are now guidelines, statutory guidelines from the DfE of what will be expected, um, children will be expected to have learnt by the end of primary school and the end of secondary school. So there's no kind of breakdown for year groups, there's no breakdown for key stages even. It's um, just primary and secondary and, and a series of statutory guidelines for that. And they're quite top level guidelines as well. So, you know, within relation within health education, for example, they talk about mental health, they talk about um, online safety and they talk about physical health and well-being. So they're relatively um, high level guidelines that are required. But essentially, as I said, the main difference is that it is now statutory. and, And as a result of it being statutory, schools will need to provide a policy for their provision. 
Um, and if school, if primary schools are teaching sex education, they also have to provide that sex education policy on their website so that parents are aware and others are aware of what it is that they're teaching. Um, and the other aspect of it is that the importance of communicating with parents. So if you're a primary school or, or a secondary school, actually, and you've not had this in, in the curriculum before, the, there's the importance emphasise of having that communication with your parents so that they understand why you're doing this as a school, why it's important, why it's important to your pupils and, and what the provision is going to be as well. And that's, that's a really key part of the changes as well. Mm. The main difference is, 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 as I said, you, you have to teach it now, whereas you didn't have to in the past. So the positive aspect of that is that there's very, you know, you, you have to teach about mental health. You have to teach about, um, OK, consent. Let's let's take consent, for example. But all of this is taught in an age appropriate way. So if you're teaching consent to a child in key stage one, it's going to look very different to if you're teaching consent to young people in key stages three and four. Consent at key stage one looks like don't lean over me to get grab something if i ask you not to or don't jump on my back in the playground if i ask you not to mm. or stop when i ask you to stop doing something that's how you teach young children about consent and and, and about forming positive friendships really um i think the trouble is so many of these words are so loaded aren't they like relationships mm. is loaded consent is loaded instantly as adults we start thinking about that on an adult level mm. and we forget that actually relationships for young children is their relationship with their teacher their relationship with their best friend their relationship with their auntie so it's about that age appropriate teaching and that's why the guidelines set out what is expected by the end of primary and secondary the way the media would like to portray it i suppose mm. is that we're teaching young children about sex where mm. that's absolutely never ever been about that and it's and it never it it won't ever be about that. You're teaching young children about what a healthy relationship and friendship looks like. You're teaching children about diverse families, for example. Um, and that's not teaching them that a family has to look like this or that. It's just making sure that within your teaching, there are diverse images of different types of family. Um, there are images of people who are different, who don't look exactly like you look, but actually might look like the child who's sitting next to you looks. Um, so it's not about teaching about these things in terms of, you know, we're teaching you how to do this or how mm. to do this. Mm. How do you think schools best prepare their staff for delivering this new curriculum? Because obviously we've got the parental aspect and the communication, but how else will we prepare our staff? So in terms of staff, I think it's training is really important. And if that's a day's training then fantastic if you could if you can do that with your staff from that that's brilliant if it's just an hour if it's a twilight session or if it's an hour once a week for a term or half a term or whatever it is that you're able to manage within your school timetabling i think that's really key because one of the things you need staff to understand especially ones who are going to be delivering this and so all primary teachers for example will be delivering this is how to deliver it what these things actually mean and what they look like as well so what does consent look like at key stage one for example um the kinds of resources that you're going to be using to help you but also i think what's really important and where training is really essential is is helping teachers understand how to teach pshe safely so there's a number of key principles which they need to apply to their pshe teaching just to ensure that a, everybody's doing it in the same sort of way, and B, that pupils know that when they walk into a PSHE lesson, this is how they're expected to behave, and this is what's expected of them. Mm. And these are the kind of things they, 
that will make this lesson a really positive experience for everybody. Can I pick up on those principles, yeah. Lucy? Because you wrote a really great blog for Discovery Education called Five Ways to Teach RSC with Confidence that I'd really recommend people have a look at because it just makes a load of sense. And it struck me as a really nice thing to kind of talk to if you were doing some training or to share those key points. You just summarise some of the points in that about what are some of the principles of good RSE teaching? Yeah, so it's really essential. The kind of bottom line, I suppose, if you do nothing else, is to establish a set of ground rules with your class. And and children are really good at negotiating those with you. You don't have to say walk in and say, this is how we do it. You can walk in in your first lesson and say, okay, we're going to be discussing some sensitive issues. We need to make sure that this is a safe environment for doing that and that people don't feel judged and that people are able to talk about the things they want to talk about. What are good ways of doing that? So you can negotiate those ground rules with the the children, young people that you're you're teaching. And you establish those ground rules, but you also return to them. So each lesson, there is a reminder of them. There may be reminders through the lesson, but also you might need to revise them from time to time because some of them won't be relevant to some of the things you're dealing with. Some will be more relevant than others at other times. So it's just kind of making them very active, really. So that's a real number one essential, really. a number two element is is about distancing learning from children. So you're not making the learning about mm. them. This isn't me and what's happened to me. This is what's happened to that person in this case study that we're reading or the person in that picture book that we've just read mm. or, um, you know, the, I don't know, a scenario that I'm going to give you. What advice would you give that person? Because that way, even if what you're dealing with has happened to a child, they don't fit they don't feel that they have to share their experience and equally they're thinking about how they would give advice to somebody else which they may then at a later date be able to apply to themselves um so that's a really important aspect of it and then a third aspect of what sort of bound up with each other really is, is about questioning and i think it's really really important that you answer questions especially with little ones because as we all know little ones have billions of questions <laughs> And actually older ones might have billions of questions as well, but they might be too embarrassed or too hesitant to ask them. So it's just creating that climate where children and young people feel able to ask questions, that they won't be judged by those questions. But also as a teacher, you know, you might end up, I think what teachers are most terrified of is those those really tricky questions or those really embarrassing questions that that they're going to get asked. And, oh my God, how the heck do I deal with these? You know, and, it's it's really important to make sure that you're answering them but also that you're kind of protecting yourself in a way so if you have that moment where you just think how do I answer this that you have those strategies maybe saying you know what I can't answer that question right now because I'm not 100% sure of the answer but I will answer it just let me go away and do a bit of research on it and I'll come back to you so that you're able to better answer that question or get yourself in a better place to be able to answer that question Mm. but so important to answer those and and kind of bound up as well in that is just having a bit of a laugh you know it's it's embarrassing let's face it you know the first time you talk about puberty with year five or year four they're all going to be going like you know hiding their heads and you might be as well so just get it out there in the open say the words let them have a laugh about it and and just kind of all have a laugh and then you all relax instantly and you can then kind of deal with it in a much more open and honest and mm. um, kind of relaxed way, I suppose. Mm. And I think the, the other things I would say is, is just that having that awareness that um, 
you know, I don't want it to sound too heavy because a lot of PSHE isn't heavy, mm. really. It's just kind of life. It's just what mm. we deal with every day. But when you do get to the bits which are potentially sensitive and, and potentially might trigger sensitivities in other kids, in children, just, just kind of be aware that there will be children and young people in the class who may find a particular issue difficult or distressing or anything like that. And just just have that awareness really when you're delivering lessons or when you're delivering teaching or when you're answering questions or whatever it is you're talking about that you just just be aware of others other people's experiences even if you just even if you don't know that there's a child in the class who may have had that experience just kind of act as if there is somebody in there and that Mm. just makes you a bit more aware of what you're doing and how you're delivering it Mm, I think that they're all really sort of sound principles to follow and just picking up a couple of things that came up uh, while you were talking there um, the first is you kind of picked up on this fact that not for everybody but for quite a few people and quite a few teachers there still seems to be this awkwardness about talking about things particularly things linked to like you say puberty or anything sexual in nature which strikes me as a real shame because it is it does strike me as quite a cultural thing in terms of Britain and, and we're often told about lots of our European counterparts that are a lot more like relaxed about this and it's it's a bit of a taboo here um kind of what advice would you give to people around that because I suppose they can't help um teachers if they feel that way but there's no doubt our children feel that awkwardness and you know every every year that I've been involved in year six they know the RSE lessons are about to come up you start hearing it on the playground (laughs) and they go all sort of funny even if you've been really chilled about it have you got any advice for people just dealing with that whole awkwardness that still exists around that well first of all I would say I mean one way of dealing with it I think is start young start early I mean it, you know, all, all the research, all the advice from all the expertise that's out there says teach the youngest children the names of parts of the body, teach them the names of, the part of, of genitals, basically, because they're just words. They're just mm. words like an arm and a leg is a word. Mm. And the only people making an issue out of the words are us. We're the only ones who, the adults, who find it excruciating. Little children just love new words. They're just interested and they, they like trying out new words. And so, you know, have that discussion with children really young, teach them what those correct names for the parts of the body are. If nothing else, it's a safeguarding issue. If they can tell you and using a name, a proper name for a part of the body, then you know exactly what may have happened to them or what, exactly what they're talking about rather than using a slang name. So, you know, slang names are absolutely fine, but we use the proper names in school, for example. So, you know, just introduce that language early on so that, so that it's it's just an established part of the language you use um you know like i said before have a bit of a laugh about it if you need to if 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 you want to talk about some of the slang words that they use the little ones then talk about those appropriately just to get that out in the open it's it's about not being scared i guess it's i don't know a single teacher whether they have literally just started teaching or whether they've been teaching for 30 years who doesn't have that moment oh god i've got to teach puberty I've got to teach sex but once they just jump in there you know just jump in and it's fine and it really is fine and 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 actually it can be some of the most interesting mm. fulfilling fascinating lesson that you that you teach and some of the questions that the kids ask 
you, it's, it's fascinating. Your kids teach you stuff every day. Even if you've been teaching for years and years and years, you'll find out new things. So it's just overcoming that fear barrier and saying to yourself, look, these are just words. It happens to us all. We all deal with it at some point in our lives. We may as well just, you know, children need to know it. It's so important. Yeah. It's an important part of their, of their growing up. And if they can grow up in, with a healthy and happy relationship, that's so much better than not talking about it and then potentially not knowing how to form a healthy and happy relationship later on. Yeah, and I think you make a great point there is that you sort of, when you do eventually relax and sort of get there, it's an enormous privilege, isn't it, to be yeah. the safe person for those children that aren't having these open chats at home yeah. who can address some of these misconceptions and give them a more positive view of themselves, their bodies. I, you know, I see that as a real privilege. As men in primary schools, we're quite often asked to go and do a talk with kind of like the boys separately to girls. And I don't know what your feelings are about that, but I've always felt privileged to be able to perhaps set quite a good example to those young boys about themselves and and perhaps also about the way they they see others um one of the things that I've sometimes felt at times is like how far do I take it I think that's something that people feel sort of a strain over because we know we're dealing with such a mixture of children in one class we might have someone from a really sheltered innocent sort of upbringing where they've probably not been exposed very much at all and then we know there are others playing 18 video games and no slang of all sorts of sort of like finding that balance of how far we take an issue you mentioned consent which I think is a great one to explore like perhaps in a staff meeting just have an open chat with your staff about but how far you take the ideas of that with someone who might be 10 11 as a way to obviously prevent negative behavior in the future um what advice would you give to people that just want some structural guidelines so that they don't overstep the mark with anything they say there yeah um you know the children you're teaching you know the young people in your care especially by you know midway through the second the, the second term i think that there's there is a sense of, of what is appropriate for them you know whether they you know who are the more immature ones in the class you know who are the more mature ones you know who are the ones who are playing you know whatever they're playing that they shouldn't be um and you know the ones who are still playing with dolls or teddy bears so you know who those children are and you have a sense of who they are and and i you know that's why i think it's it can partly really help to have a scheme to buy in a scheme to use um, because that will automatically set a lot of boundaries if, if there are lesson plans within a scheme. But also I would also say, don't be afraid to then supplement that scheme with your own, because you know your pupils better than anybody. A scheme can never know your pupils. So supplement it with your own stuff which shows that awareness of who you've got, got in your class and who you've got around you. You know, there's a myriad of free stuff out there as well. Go and look at stuff produced by charities and, and stuff produced by different um, organisations because there's some really, really excellent stuff. And you'll know the stuff which is appropriate for your kids. Um, but also just my feeling also would be don't assume that children and young people know more than they actually do because I think there's a real tendency in our society to assume old children are getting older young children are behaving like 11 year olds when they're only seven you know they've all got mobile phones they're all doing this they're all doing that they all know about this they all know about that actually they're still just kids when they're little mm. and even when they're older they're not all having sex aged 15 that's that's a complete myth they're not all they're, they're, there are things that they're that are just not within their experience mm. 
and so I think it's it's really important to remind to remind yourself of that, mm. and to remind yourself that the ones who are having less appropriate experiences, if you like, are probably in the minority. Yeah, just thinking about the kids you know, the kids you mm. teach, and how well you know them, and what's appropriate for them. And I think what you said about having a discussion in the, in the staff room was really helpful as well, because you, mm. as teachers, it helps get your kind of feelings and your values and your uh, your experiences out there as well. Mm. And having that discussion that you're going to have with the children also it can be a really valuable experience for you as teachers yeah nice the the point you made there about sort of supplementing the you know some sort of scheme or or structure that you've agreed to in a school with with kind of your own thoughts and insights and and kind of linking to the children that are in front of you what's how do we best kind of approach that with our parents because I think that's another fear of people is we might might have to say something a bit extra because it came up incidentally but then we're kind of panicking as a teacher or have I said too much or you know that child asked a really sensitive question in that context and I responded in a way I'm pleased with is there a duty for us then to just have that little word on the gate do you think to any parents that might is it better to almost preempt that and have that open conversation with our parents as well about things that have come up, do you think? Yeah, I think it's really important to be open with parents. Mm. I think um, parent workshops, parent as much communication as you can possibly have, um, a newsletter, just to give parents that awareness. You know, if you're teaching year one children the names of their gentles, then tell parents you're going to do that. Just you know, Tomorrow we are going to be teaching this or at the beginning of term, this will be part of our teaching within this term, for example, just so parents are prepared and that, so they can come to you with questions as well. And they can just, you know, 99% of parents, once you talk to them about exactly what you're doing and why and, and how you're going to do it, and you, you, know, you'd like, you might show them the resources you're using, are absolutely on board with it and happy. It's that fear of the unknown. Oh my goodness, what are they going to be saying to my kids what kind of questions are they going to be coming home with tonight <clears throat> so yeah preempting it in that sense and just letting parents know and just being really open with parents about what you're teaching and how you're going to do it and also being secure in yourself as you said you've answered a question you know you've responded well you feel good about what you've said so if a parent does challenge you or does question you or you do feel you need to have a conversation with a parent, <clears throat> sorry, you feel really confident in how you've dealt with that situation and you're then able to, to demonstrate that to that parent. And, and that instills confidence in them as well that you're the right person to be doing this with their children. Great, that's sound advice. And my very last one, Lucy, you um, mentioned briefly books earlier and we, we did a wonderful podcast recently on diversity and representation in literature. And yep. um, I've been kind of looking at my English curriculum again recently in light of this. And I suddenly realised there's this whole world of PSHE. We've done quite a bespoke scheme around PSHE that we're tweaking and developing. And we're, we're curious about the place of books in our PSHE curriculum. Do you think there's a really useful place for stories and some of the books and are there any authors or books you would recommend for um sort of threading through your PSHE curriculum yeah I, I listened to that podcast actually and I thought it was fantastic and I and it was just so great to hear different voices talking about and, and you know just the, the kind of the titles they talked about and things that they they obviously loved picture books as I also love picture books <laughs> and um and it's it, you know hearing from such a range of different people was, was really, really positive. And I thought that was fantastic. And, and, um, and I think PSHE, it, when I was teaching 
the first thing I would do if I, if I was trying to deal with a particular um, situation would be to reach for a picture book. I'd go to our school library and, and search through until I found a book that I felt I could use to introduce this particular subject. And I think that works really well with the littlest ones. It works well with Key Stage 2. It can equally work with the older ones as well if you choose the right kind of book. You know, it can introduce a subject for you. It can distance the learning, like I talked about earlier, so you can talk about the character in the book rather than a situation that you're facing mm. as a, as a um, yourself. You can you can build all kinds of other activities based around that book as well. You can even copy the book. I was just thinking about the book, um, the Huge Bag of Worries, which is a, is quite it's quite an old one now. Actually, it's been around for a while. But it's still incredibly relevant because it's all about if we carry worries around with us, they get heavier and heavier and heavier until we can barely carry them any longer. And you can physically do that with children. You can get a bag and you can have a stone or something and you can get children to write a worry on that stone and put it in the bag. And then children take it in terms carrying the bag around so they can physically feel how worries can weigh you down. And then you can take the worries out and deal with them in, in, di in the different ways that the book also deals with them and you can feel how the bag gets lighter so that's just a really basic example I mm. suppose um, and then the other thing that picture books can do or, or I mean not just picture books but sort of thinking about picture books at the moment is that the imagery in them can be diverse it can be representative a well-chosen picture book can can really open a child's eyes up to a life which is their life but also a life which they know nothing about and, and are potentially experiencing for the first time and that's that can be hugely helpful in teaching about difference and teaching about diversity and teaching about um, getting on with people who are different to you or learning about different types of um, families for example and there's so many books out there that do that really well and I keep coming back to old ones because there's some <laughs> really really fantastic old ones but one of my absolute favorites and I mean, this is great for key stages one and two, not appropriate for key stages three and four because it's too young. But um, there's a lovely um, series of books called Grace, um, Amazing Grace and Grace and Family. And they've been around for a really long time, those books, but they're so positive and they're so, the imagery in them is, is also diverse. And they're, they're just lovely stories as well, apart from anything else. So there's all kinds of issues you can explore around those. I suppose for the older ones, it's trickier because you don't obviously have a dedicated story time as such. But you can draw on fiction that they might have read. You can you can draw on popular books which they might be interested in. You know, I, I'd say to any secondary teacher, just read teenage fiction because there are some absolutely fantastic young adult books out there mm. dealing with all kinds of things, and you can draw on the experiences of young people in those novels to mm. help inform some of your teaching book trust is a great place to start because mm. they have a list they have lists of books going right from early years right up to key stage four mm. um i know the pshe association has done a list of helpful picture books um there are books there are organizations like letterbox library for example that have really fantastic book lists if you're dealing with different you know different types of family different types of culture um disability and um and issues around that they have all kinds of book mm. lists based around that so yeah I, I fiction to me is one of the absolute bedrocks of psag actually yeah great and as you say that ability to distance from them 
and make it about something else but make it a really safe space to explore thank you lucy it's been a really interesting conversation and we really appreciate sort of having your expertise on this podcast and um, are you happy if people want to get in touch with you over twitter and whatnot for them to say yeah. hello and ask you any supplementary questions Absolutely. That, I mean, I, I love talking to teachers. I love talking to you know anyone who's, who's sort of there in the thick of it, if you like. Um, I, I'm always interested in talking to, their, talking to them about their experiences. So yeah, I'm more than happy for people to get in touch. When we put the podcast out, we'll copy you in and feel free to say hi to Lucy and connect and uh, ask a few questions if you've got them. Thank you ever so much for your time tonight. Thank you for having me. Don't keep the deputy.